Do you love NASCAR and all things racing? Then you've come to the right place. I'm Derek Cope. And I'm Alicia Cope. We are your hosts. And here on Race Theory, we talk about all things asphalt racing. Our life on the road, maintaining good sponsor relationships, as well as balancing our work and family life as a team. Stick around and hopefully our tips and experiences will help you reach your own goals. Welcome back to Race Theory. It's episode 12. This is about 2011. We're going to do a little more storytelling. And this is uh, when I was driving for Jay Robinson uh, in the Nationwide Series. And this was a full-time ride. Uh, I think it was a 28 car. And we were, again, a, a small team just trying to, you know, make make things happen on a weekly basis. And uh, it was his business model. And we were just... Uh, doing the best we could. And it was one of those years where, you know, we were, we were doing okay. And where they had a kind of a unique thing going where they were looking for, you know, sponsorship full-time. They had a bunch of little things going on, some people working full-time and they were able to procure a number of smaller sponsorships. And I remember it was Auto Club Speedway in Fontana, California. We were there and uh, I didn't, it was unbeknownst to me when I got to the racetrack I really hadn't been at the race shop prior to going down there. And all I knew was there was a new sponsor on board. And when I got there, then I saw the car and, you know, realized what was on it. And it was a company called Maxillance. And I thought it was an energy drink, but I would later find out there was more of a nutritional drink. And so it was, uh, I met um, the people there, like I always do. I, I try to really pride myself on spending time with the sponsors and getting to know them, and then trying to really understand more about their brand. And uh, I really didn't have any anything any knowledge of it there uh, until I got there. And I met uh, Tiger and Glenda, and obviously I didn't know it at the time, but they would later be my mother and father-in-law. And this was the first time I'd met these uh, people, and you know, we ran the race and had a good time and, you know, had a, a nice effort for them and then knew that at that time I found out that it would be um, something that they would uh, do a number of races uh, throughout the year. So, you know, I was going to get a chance to uh, to represent a brand again. And, you know, I, I look forward to that. And so we started running more races and, you know, we, throughout the year, uh, you know, we had a variety of sponsors on there. But, you know, just another one of those years where you know, it was kind of you know, able to go back to the racetrack and, you know, be a stable fixture there again, albeit not in the best of equipment, but, you know, a chance to go to the races and do what I love to do. And that's basically what that year was really all about. Right. And it was um, the year that we met. Um, not that we became a couple, but the year that we met. And I certainly um, had no idea what was going to happen. And I had lost my job as a social worker. I was working um, on an Indian reservation in um, Washington State and Oregon. And um, the uh, CEO and my dad approached me because I had been in nutritional products and been a fitness instructor for a number of years as well. And they wanted me to become the uh, marketing director for this new product. And I was completely on board because it was a nutritional product, but it also gave you natural energy through this ingredient called ribose. So I was an avid reader, did all of my research, ready to go, had all kinds of ideas on how to represent this brand in a nutritional 
fashion at nutrition shows, women's shows, um, you know, fitness and health, be in the health and wellness category. Well, a bunch of shareholders in North Carolina got together and decided that they were going to go racing. So I remember when this idea was first positioned to me, I said, are you flipping out of your mind? You're going to represent a nutritional product in NASCAR. Now, mind you, I had absolutely zero experience of racing or NASCAR at this time. Um, Grew up in the Pacific Northwest, really no tracks nearby, NASCAR tracks nearby. And even though we were sports enthusiasts, I certainly didn't know anything about racing except what I'd seen on TV and watched Days of Thunder as a high schooler. So I, I was very reticent to sign off on this new endeavor. But I went ahead and packed my bags and went to Daytona to see what it was all about and fully expected to meet this redneck um, race car driver named Derek Cope. In fact, didn't know anything about Derek Cope. Had to Google him on the way over. Found out about his Daytona win and tried to come up with some conversation to, you know, get going, thinking that didn't know how sharp this tool was going to be. Little did you know <laughs> that he would be this debonair young uh, young fellow. Oh, yeah, right. Y- young not being the word. <laughs> You're funny. So um, so we get over there, and I have to admit, I had never been to the track before, and it was something that was completely adrenalizing, completely changed my world. Um, sat at the pit box, and uh, I remember there was a crash right in front of me, and Danica Patrick's engine literally vaulted out of that car <laughs> right in front of me and landed on the grass. And I was like, holy crap, how did I spend 35 years of my life not knowing about this sport? All I remember is um, you had on this purple dress, and you're climbing up a ladder. I'm thinking to yes. myself, what's this VP of marketing doing climbing <laughs> up this ladder? Uh, and I'm thinking, hmm. Yeah, th- I, I um, certainly didn't know what to wear. And my um, the people that I was with and my father told me that we were not going to the track, that we were going to dinner. But, of course, they go to the track because they're watching qualifying, and there's this um, ladder that goes to the observation deck, and everyone's going up there to watch. And they said, aren't you coming up? And I said, all right, well, I'm not going to be left behind, so I'm climbing up this ladder. And, uh, yeah, it wasn't too great in heels and a dress, but, um, yeah, uh, we had a few uh, pit crew members uh, assisting me. (laughs) The wind wind was blowing just a touch (laughs) in Daytona. Yeah. So, anyway. Fast forward, um, I had the opportunity to go to a few more races, and I was all on board at that point, um, realizing now that no matter what the brand, you can certainly do any type of sampling, grassroots, education, and I was was going everywhere. Um, And little did I know, we got our first deal with this company um, to GNC. That was a huge win for this little tiny company. And I was kind of like the mediator between the GNC stores. And um, so I was approached to see if I might be willing to relocate because lo and behold, where's GNC franchise, uh, the majority of their franchise locations uh, located? Charlotte, North Carolina. So I had... um, been divorced and had a little girl with me, Zoe. And 
it was, you know, it was a huge decision. Um, but I was unemployed. I had lost my social worker job. I did not have benefits any longer. Um, I was a single mom. Um, my two older daughters, um, one in high school, one in college, um, they chose to stay in the Pacific Northwest. And so, like Derek says, I chose to engage. And I think that has made all the difference because if I would have not made that decision, we certainly wouldn't be together. And, um, and like I tell Derek, um, we wouldn't also be together if it hadn't been for the fact that he's such a good dancer. So the, the, the dance makes the man, ladies. He's, he, he's, uh, he's definitely got the moves on the dance floor. One dance, maybe, initiated <laughs> it. But, um, but yeah, by um, Daytona, uh, the Daytona 500, um, at the beginning of 2012, that was our first race to, that we went to together as a couple. And that was, um, that was devastating. Uh, it's amazing our relationship has survived after that. Uh, I'll, I'll let you tell that part. Well, it was one of those things where, you know, you're at the end of that season in Nationwide and really Jay had, you know, had been paying me a, you know, a certain amount of money plus, you know, my expenses. And that's kind of been our deal for many, you know, for every time we'd been doing it, you know, and then Jay was running through kind of some lean things and he was kind of made, asked me, he wanted me to drive, but, you know, understood if I didn't want to, didn't want to pay me what I was paying me. And it was just, it really, I don't just hit me the wrong way. And I just, uh, I just felt like that's all I had done. And I just felt like that I was not going to, you know, succumb to that, you know, take that kind of money and, uh, still do what he was asking me to do. And so we, we kind of, you know, parted ways, you know, and it was very amicable, but, you know, it was just one thing I said, you know, I think I'm going to try something else. And that's when we decided to, you know, get ready for, you know, Daytona. I had, I had this Xfinity car and I was involved with Gary Keller and, uh, and I had Dave Fuge come on board and we kind of tried to form this group to take, get going and do this, this Xfinity deal. And we went to Daytona and worked on the car, you know, through the winter to get it ready to go and went down there and, uh, just, just failed. The car would not go. It was it was not fast enough in practice, and I knew that we were going to be on the edge of going home. And uh, really, just for some reason, it just didn't it didn't work. And we had, you know, I thought we had a decent piece. And engine wise, we worked, you know, with uh, you know Mark Smith, you know, from uh, and PME, and I thought we were going to do it, and then it just didn't happen. And in the process, Dave had been talking to somebody else about, you know, crew chief from for them for the next few races or, you know, for the next part of the year was going to leave me high and dry, which certainly did not set well with me and proceeded to have, you know, a conflict. Yeah. It wasn't just a conflict. When we left that track, you were so mad. I literally thought you were going to go start a fight with this crew chief. It was the, it was the first time I'd ever seen you go from zero to a hundred. Of course, I would see you do that many times later, but that really was the first time I'd ever seen the anger come out in you. And it wasn't just anger at missing that race, but it was also anger of betrayal. And, um, it had been a very trialsome weekend and it takes a lot out of you when you are on the edge of making it, not making it, making it, not making it. And, you know, that's, a it's just, it's a, it's beyond devastation when that happens. And especially you're, you're out the months and months of, of, um, preparation and money. And you had, you had already formed a, um, corporation partnership 
with these people. So that ride home, we drove down, drove back. That was the most agonizing, awkward ride home <laughs> I've ever experienced. Well, I mean, we left Starbucks and I was on this conversation with Dave and, you know, I, I've known Dave since you know, I was relatively young and really was in the infancy of my career. And I just had put a lot of money in this thing and worked hard and had a lot invested and was trying to build something again, right, collectively with a group that I felt like we, you know, we kind of complemented each other. We had, you know, Gary is a big, good businessman. And, you know, I, you know, I felt like that I could be hands on. We could work on sponsorship and Dave's a good crew chief. And so I just felt like that we had something that I could build on again. And, you know, and David just decided to uh, take this other deal. He just thought we were going to be dead in the water. And he didn't, you know, just he bailed. And I was so mad. And, you know, I was, you know, leaving Starbucks on the phone with him. And, you know, we got into this complete tirade. And, you know, I was, I told him, I said, just be ready. I'm on my way. I'm, I'm eight hours away from killing you. <laughs> you and know? I, I didn't know you well enough to, to know whether or not you were going to do that or not. I started uh, taking a look around and seeing if there was any other uh, rides I might have back to, to I told Charlotte. him, I said, ready yourself. I said, I'm coming for you. <laughs> and, and, and using some choice words. Pissed. Yeah. Well, you have since mended the fence. Yeah, well, so. I mean that that, that was Dave, that was David and <laughs> and Mai's relationship. You always know that you know Dave was going to be the way Dave was, and I was going to be the way I was, and you know we always you know were able to find you know common ground. It it did sever our relationship for a long period of time, and I think uh, you know obviously since then you know we've we've worked together and done some things, but it's just one of those things when, like you say, you just you know you're at a time in your life or that you know things are not going that well and you want to race and you're trying to do something and you know you just leave Daytona the place you cherish and it's embarrassing you have to leave and go home and you know you have to you have to figure out what to do next and I think for us it was to get home and to get it behind us and you know it's always it's always raw when you're there at the racetrack and you're leaving Daytona the place that I just I love being at even if it's just there for running you know, around driving to Starbucks or you just enjoy being there and then to have that kind of, you know, ending uh, suddenly, and then you have to go home, and then you you start figuring out what are we going to do next. And I think that was, you know, we started looking at how can we, you know, everybody's kind of like bailed on us, you know, so we're really kind of dead in the water. We just have I have what I have, and I have to lick my wounds. And we decided to do some driver development and try to find, you know, some drivers that had funding that needed tutoring, needed mentoring. Uh, and we had, you know, <clears throat> that situation where we just tried to, to move forward. And, uh, you know, we had a guy, Andy Wolgar, you know, he was, uh, doing some things. He'd been involved with creation racing. Uh, well, he was from the UK. So the he UK, knew a yeah. lot of, um, like formula one drivers and, and, um, um, just a lot of European drivers. Yeah. He'd been involved with creation, which was like a, uh, like a, uh, like an LMP3, LMP2 type team. Right. And Nick Manassian had been one of his drivers, which I got to know Nick and, uh, really enjoyed spending time with him and, you know, just getting to know, uh, and then, you know, Andy would kind of start that process where we're kind of looking, you know, to the European driver situation, young drivers that maybe had some funding. We're looking to, you know, maybe they weren't going to make the formula one grade over there. They were maybe involved in, in a process of trying to do it, but they had funding, they had backers. We thought, well, this might be, a niche for us, right? We might be able to, you know, 
bring some drivers here, you know, and see if they can make the transition and see if they can find a way to bring their funding here and then move them up the ladder. So taking myself kind of out of the seat again, mm-hmm. more of in a mentoring, you know, type of role. You were definitely a coach and, yeah. and, you, and you did very well, even though we were always looking for opportunities at times we'd, um, I'd, find some sponsorship and we'd go and look for, you know, a way to get to the race. And, you know, we did a few races, but the, um, the first driver we had was from Ireland and yeah, Alistair Jackson, yeah, yeah, midget driver. And, um, and then we seem, we seemed to kind of do the whole circuit of, uh, of Europe there. We had a Danish driver, we had a French driver. I, I will never forget that French driver being in our car and he had only been used to the little cars and just was not used to the stiffness. Julian Juice. Julian Juice. And he <laughs> he would scream <laughs> into the into the radio, your car is a pig. Your car is a pig. <laughs> yeah, he yeah, he was a character. A little volatile. You know, I guess the little I guess the Frenchman in him is coming out. But uh we had Jack Clark uh from Clark the UK. Was very very um, talented guy. Yeah, um, I enjoyed him. Yeah, he was actually from the he, from the My Russia uh Formula One team. Uh, he had some backing from the My Russia guys, uh, and so he was really um, I, I, he was a pleasure to have around. And I thought he had some talent. We did, did some ARCA races, some Canaan stuff with him, and I thought you know things were going to go relatively well there. And uh, then we had Tim Bell come on board from California, mm-hmm. and Tim did a nice job. Had zero. He'd been a road racer, had zero you know road uh, maybe old track experience, and so trying to make a transition there and. Did really, I mean, did relatively well. We had a really good run out at uh, Las Vegas with him. And yes, that was a yeah, lot of yeah, fun. It was mm-hmm. a lot of fun. And um, so, yeah, we, that was the start of, you know, which was an interesting year for me. It was. You were not real thrilled at the chapter in life that you were in. But I remember it as this is how I cut my teeth on racing. And I'm so glad that it happened this way looking back. Because even though my first introduction to racing was NASCAR, but we were immediately back out of it and we were in the trenches, we were in the dirt, literally, we were in ARCA and K&N and going to these tracks around North Carolina, developing these kids. And I remember just falling in love with racetracks like Caraway and Kinley and Hickory, and then, you know, going to these K&N races. We went to, yeah, I think Columbus, we went to Salem, Indiana, uh, Albuquerque. That was a debacle. Yeah. (laughs) Well. Some some go that way. Yeah, but um, but of note, um, I remember we uh, went up to New Hampshire, and you had actually hired Nick, who is now the owner of Nitro Motorsports, who we are working with now, um, your cousin, and he had been running ARCA and racing some, but he had a group of guys um, that he'd put together, and we took two drivers up there, Tim Bell and Allie. And I remember McKinley, our daughter McKinley went with us too. She was still in high school at the time. So this was her, her first, uh, uh, introduction into racing. And, and it was a lot of fun. Um, we're at Loudon, New Hampshire and your driver does not make it and Nick's does. So that was, that was a little hard, but that night, um, we're all going out to dinner and everyone's drinking tequila. And I said, well, and they're ordering me shots. And I said, I don't, shoot tequila. That's, that's not me. I I drink my martinis. Thank you. And they said, well, tonight, every time Derek gets recognized, you're going to take a shot. And I said, okay, well, I can go for that. I mean, we're in this tiny little town outside Loudoun, New Hampshire. I mean, that's a very rural area and in this Italian restaurant. And I thought, 
the most I'm going to shoot is probably one shot. You would have thought he set this up. People came in and recognized you four times. Of course, little did I know you had one Loudoun, New Hampshire in a bush race. And I didn't know at that point anything about Whitcomb race team being from Keene, New, Keen, New Hampshire. So, um, you know, you're a little bit of a legend up there. <laughs> so here I am four shots in and I think I barely made it to the hotel room. Yeah. You, you got in the, we got you in the door and you stood by the bed and I think I just touched your back and you went like a tree fallen and you went face first into the bed. <laughs> Never, you know, not to, uh, to wake up until later. <clears throat> the bed must have been spinning or, you know, you got sick or what, but I know that I had to leave in the middle of the night, go get you saltine crackers and some Alka-Seltzer because yes. you had a very bad headache. Yeah. <clears throat> so you were, yeah, you were struggling. Yes. So, uh, just remember folks, she can only have two and she thinks she's a heavyweight, but she's a lightweight. <laughs> well, until, um, Matt Kohler got in the picture, I was only a, a one to two martini drinker. Yeah. Maybe yes. just one. I yeah. know you're getting, I mean, you're getting going when you got one, but two, <laughs> you, you're pretty much done at that point. Yeah. Well, tequila was definitely, Yeah. Yeah. Tequila doesn't make her clothes fall off. Tequila it makes her fall down. Yeah. So it was a um, a very fitful night, to to say the least. And I wasn't in the best of shape uh, marketing-wise the next day. So barely made it through that. But I do recall it as being um, a fun trip. And we also traveled. At that trip, we actually flew. But the majority of the time, we had our entire crew, and this is when your crew is also your pit crew. So who is putting your cars together is also pitting your car, which is not the case in Cub. And so we've got, you know, engine builder slash fuel man, and we've got tire changer slash crew chief. And we, you know, I mean, it was a motley crew and every, I mean, all ages and from all walks of life. But these guys were so funny. And we're all in this suburban together, traveling all over. I mean, all the way to Indiana, Ohio, Nebraska, um, Florida. And they would love it when I would read my Cosmopolitan magazine to them. And we'd get into all these discussions about what does a woman really want? What does a man really want? And remember, those were uh, that was the time that um, Fifty Shades of Grey had just That's come out. Correct, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, the older guys that were like, "What the heck?" <laughs> I was enlightening them. Yeah. <laughs> so it was it was a fun time. I know that, that was not. Um, you're not going to look back on that year as wow. You know, I had a really great time, but. I'm glad that I experienced it. It was almost like, um, you know, my baby year there with, with racing. And I mean, we did everything, um, from, you know, being in the dirt to asphalt, to being outside the track, inside the track. We had, um, fuel cans, um, that busted. I remember, um, in Indiana, uh, in Salem, um, literally a waterfall of gasoline shot over the car and just soaked me. Um, it was, um, you know, definitely like you say, the, the best of times and the worst of times, but then, um, we moved on from there, um, to getting a 
opportunity to go full-time Xfinity racing and, yes. and run our own team. Yeah, it was, it was again, Jay Robinson, it was, you know, a relationship. There was an opportunity to get um, the 70 number, which had been ran by Johanna Long uh, with um, a group. And they were parting ways and I think just uh, selling the team. And so Jay was able to procure that and somehow was involved in that, I think. And uh, I ended up getting the opportunity to to get those points. And it gave us an opportunity to go to Daytona with points, knowing that we would be in the race, which was really, a, you know, a nice, a nice safety factor, you know, uh, where you don't have egg on your face. And you know, you know that if you get a sponsor for going down there that you can do hospitality, you can take care of them, you can do marketing. And it really is, puts you in a, a lot more comfortable state going to Daytona, which, you know, is not always the case. And we'd already experienced that, you know. So it was it was one of those things where we had um, got a sponsor. And uh, it, was, uh, it was an exciting well, sponsor, yeah. a local sponsor. Well, Benny Sims had gotten a sponsor from Mayo Dan, North Carolina, Charlie Soap. Yes. And they came on the car and, and did, I think they ended up doing three more, three or four more races. We did a lot of outside appearances for that brand. And um, yeah, it was very enjoyable. We didn't do well at Daytona, but it was such a relief to be able to go knowing that you were in totally different atmosphere. You're not on pins and needles and, you know, biting your fingernails, you know, thinking that you can't get in to the yeah. race. Well, and, I think, uh, you know, again, you got to, you got to figure that, you know, you're, you're going to do the best you can, you know, you just put this deal together. Right. And, uh, you know, it kind of came late. So here we are trying to, uh, you know, make things happen. Right. So, uh, but we, we did, um, manage to get everything together and get there. And, and, um, so the rest of that year was kind of piecemeal. Um, I was able to bring on, um, a couple nutritional sponsors. We had, um, uh, a, uh, oil change sponsor. Um, and then, um, the next year, well, so this was 2013 Enter 2014. Finally, Derek popped the question. It was getting a little old. We'd been together for what, two years. And then, uh, finally on my birthday in, uh, 2013. The end of end of 2013 is when um, took me out on my birthday and and uh, asked me to marry him. So, of course, I thought about it for a little bit. No, <laughs> yeah, you'd been you know thinking about it. I think a lot of times before that, you know, there's a lot of things going on and a lot of discussions with your girlfriends and a lot of you know innuendos. And I can know that uh, you know. Well, my <clears throat> my mom was about ready to have your hide if you didn't ask me. <laughs> Uh, it, 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 it was, it was getting, it was getting uncomfortable because she's a, she's a good Christian woman. And well, oh uh, yes. And anyways, I was, you know, I'm going to make an honest woman. I mean, I couldn't have her, you know, going off the deep end or that. So, you know, <laughs> but yes, that's correct. We went to Villa Antonio's, which was a, you know, a wonderful, uh, restaurant uh, at the time that I had, you know, been to and, you know, thought a lot of the people there and the owners and went there and. We had a nice evening and got down on one knee and asked her to marry me. Yep, it was. And she beautiful. said yes pretty quickly now, just so you know that. <laughs> <laughs> no deliberation. Right. <laughs> so, yes. Um, 
we went in to the next year pretty optimistic. Um, we had gotten ourselves a sponsor that was going to give us $5,000 a week to run every single week. And we, at that point, we thought, oh my gosh, we have made it to the big time. We're actually getting a check every single week. And then I was going outside the car and doing um, representation because once again, I had a brand that was in GNC's, Vitamin Shop, Vitamin World. Um, I knew those stores in and out. I knew, um, still know the entire circuit here in North Carolina. So I already had my road course pretty much mapped because I'd done that with Maxlon. So um, went on to have another brand, Ehydrate, did the same thing. So um, we were lucky enough to, um, you know, be able to draw those brands to us that that were in nutritional health and wellness categories, which was my expertise. So that was that was a lot of fun. And then uh, we went to Daytona in July, and um, you were actually running very well. And because we only had the one car, um, you probably would have finished a lot better. Um, you were running top five. You were running that lead pack all night long. And uh, was so exhilarating um, to see to see that happen. That's the first time I'd ever seen you run up front in that capacity, and the first time I'd ever been at Daytona where we were running good. Daytona was uh, always a crapshoot for me, and and I had a very still do have a very love hate relationship with that place. But um, to to see you in the top five all night that was that was really cool. And yeah, we were we were really in a position to to finish there as well. But I got, you know, I had a major run on the outside going down the back straightaway. And, and actually I think it was, uh, Trevor Bain, I think it was, uh, pulled up in front of me and I had to stand on the brakes and that kind of thwarted my run, but we still had a great effort and a great night for. Well, and you'd said you, you were willing to do battle if, if you would have had more cars, but being that we were owner and operator and driver, you know, you, you couldn't wreck the car knowing that we had, you know, to go to the next race, go to loud in the very next week. Yeah. So I remember you telling with me. With a speedway I, car. Yeah, with a speedway car. We changed that. That one car got changed from week to week. I don't know how we did. I mean, we pulled all-nighters to the point where um, I would drive the crew. They would sleep because they literally did not go to bed the night before. I didn't. The kids did. I'd send them home. Well, they got maybe two hours of sleep. Yeah. That's when well, we had Bubio and Panda Boy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and but sometimes I would have to you know, I would have to send them all home because at two in the morning they were, they were just done. Yeah. And so they would go home and I'd make, made Chris go. He was standing around and made him go home. Yeah. That was when Chris Stanley was, was working for mm -hmm. us his first year and um, started volunteering and then became, you know, one of our best guys. It was um, definitely a labor of love for come sure. I came back in the morning and they all come in and say, well, what time did you, what time did you go home? And I said, well, I didn't. Mm -hmm. So I'm going home to take a shower now. We're getting ready to go. You guys are going to load up. I'm going to go take a shower and we're heading out. And then Alicia would drive and then we'd, I'd pass out. And well, the whole, the whole suburban would pass out. I remember coming back from a race one night and, um, cause you had, you were notorious for driving the race yourself and then you wouldn't let anyone else drive you drive home. You know, like you drive Atlanta, you know, be in the car for three hours. And then we'd get into the suburban and you'd drive halfway home. You know, before we were so tired, we'd, we'd pull off and sleep in a rest stop. But we were, I can't remember which race it was, but remember we'd all fallen asleep, even me, which is rare. And it was Panda Boy that went, Derek! And you <laughs> snapped up. I mean, we were almost in the borrow ditch. You remember that? That was, uh, that was crazy times. Um, yeah. Lack of sleep. We, we lived on like 
three to four hours of sleep per night trying to get these cars switched over. And that poor Speedway car, that Ganassi car, we switched it from Speedway to intermediate to road course. So you literally took the gas opening and had to put it on the other side like four times during the year. (laughs) That car was patched up on one side and we'd run the same wraps even. I'd get a sponsor where we could actually afford to get a really nice, you know, $2,200 wrap. And I'd make the color scheme so that it would fit all the other decals, you know, coming on the next races. So you remember we had the purple people eater car? We were purple for like Yes, I remember three months. A matte purple. <laughs> and that was the blow up at um an orange. Watkins Glen, because that was the hydrate car. Uh that that car was blue. That car was the one that blew up up there was blue. I don't remember. No, but the oh it was blue at yeah. Watkins Glen? Yes, it oh, was. I thought it was purple. No. Yeah. Well, Ehydrate started the grape purple car because I remember their um, one of their VPs of marketing thought that purple would would represent their brand well because they did um, juices um, for both kids and adults that were uh, electrolytes, and so that that became an iconic paint scheme. Everyone knew that that was the seventy because we we were the only purple car, grape purple, <laughs> almost all year. But it was good times. And, you worked um, hard. I mean, it was, it was, I think it was one of those years where you're in the trenches and you, you're working hard and, you know, it's enjoyable yet, you know, you didn't know it at the time. <laughs> it seemed like you're just, you're dead tired, but really very rewarding. You know, the races that we were going to, you're getting to go every week and, you know, you're, you're being productive on very small amounts of money. And you know what? You're just, um, you know, you see, you can still work ethic and all the guys and the kids and they all have gone on to do great things. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, so, you know, it's pretty rewarding when you sit back and look at it, even, you know, shortly thereafter, you know, you looked at, you know, the guys and, you know, they, they all were in a position to, to learn. And when you, when you have to work that hard, you do take a lot, you know, a lot from it, you know, and I think, you know, you really, you know, you really, I don't know, you came together, you, you really put, you know, put a lot of effort in, you were able to come up with sponsors and, and take care of them and do hospitality at the, at the track. And it was just a lot of work, but very rewarding. Yes. And I think it made us um, very strong as a couple. People ask, how do you work together, play together, um, do everything together? And because we were so busy and we were so vested in it, and honestly, from day one, we've both had the commonality that we just love racing. We just love being at the racetrack. And to see you happy makes me happy. And um, so that's, you know, that's where my joy comes from as well. But it is um, probably the pinnacle of giving yourself that reward when at the end of a weekend, you have finished well, you've executed well, the sponsors are happy, they're coming back for more. And so it um, definitely keeps you even though you're dead tired, but it keeps that desire to go for more. And it's not like we were making much money. We were just surviving. And we we had some good friends helping us. I mean, there was people that, you know, were putting their time in. Yes, we had, um, yeah, Donna and Fuzzy, um, yeah. were volunteering week after week after week, coming down and helping. Yeah, and, and she they, was helping with yeah, catering. They as put well. so much effort in. They did. Yes, they. It, that was wonderful having having them on board um, that year or two years, fifteen and sixteen. Everybody got along really well, and you know, I think everybody complimented each other. And 
they would do whatever was needed. You know, they were pit sign, they would, you know, catch, you know, catch tires. Everybody was doing something in a small effort and it didn't matter. You know, you had to roll tires, you know, take everything to the garage, the pit area, bring it back, work and load the thing up, get going and head out again. They'd go their way back home and we'd take off. And, you know, it just, it really was a, a time that we enjoyed a lot of things, right? We and, did. Uh, we laughed yeah. a lot. And mm-hmm. um, we had several volunteers, actually. Um, that was kind of our model, um, depending on which racetrack we were at. Because remember Rob Nelson? Rob Nelson. When we were on the West Coast, yeah. he would show up. He was a uh, fireman. Mm-hmm. And um, so he was like our on-team medic as well as, um, you know, he he did everything too, from catch tires to run and fuel and, and all of that. And then we'd always have a guy that when we were in um, in Phoenix would, would come help. And uh, we had uh, Jeannie um, and Waldo, yeah. Prestel, the Prestellas, yeah. you know. Um, they'd, they'd show up uh, when we were in California and bring, in Vegas bring and bring food because we yeah. had Lizzie yeah. um, on our pit crew. Yeah. So, yeah, if it weren't for all of those volunteers, I mean, we still could have done it. But what it would have been so much more hard work and the effort wouldn't have been as good because you and I would have been dead tired and things would have been left undone. Mm-hmm. So, but we had a lot of, um, success in, uh, in 15, but 16 was a, a dismal failure. 14 and 15 were good years, but, but, uh, 16, um, was really, really tough. And that's when we took on a partner and it did not work. And, um, by the end of that year, um, we were knowing that we were going to leave the Xfinity series for good. There was really no other choice. And so that was a devastating blow to both of us because once again, we find ourselves in that unfamiliar territory of in the off season, where do we go from here? I think that's what always happens. You know, I think you just go through a year where you're, you know, everything we're doing complements each other, Everybody's doing something invested and you're having some modest success and, you know, we're putting a few numbers on the board and, you know, all the groups of people are getting along. And and then you take on, you know, a partner and you do something where you feel like you're going to, you know, you know, create something different. Right. And, you know, maybe take us take a step forward and it just actually just deteriorates really badly. And, you know, things just it's your your demise. And then you're pretty much in a position where, you know, it's over and, you know, you're done. And so at that point, you know, what always happens is at the end of the season, come November, you're sitting either with or without a ride or with nothing to do, or you got a new opportunity. And we were sitting there with not much really. And I didn't really have anything on the horizon. We were, you know, just coming out of that relationship where, you know, it was just devastating and just a total loss. And you're just kind of trying to well, we lost out. all of our assets. Yeah, we lost everything. In the really. in this in the lawsuit, we lost all of our assets. Yeah. We lost the um, had to auction off everything: the cars, the tools, you know. So we're down to nothing. And here, you had ran a shop for twenty years, mm-hmm. and all of that equipment was just poof gone. Yeah. Our tractor was gone, um, everything. And yeah. you, we find ourselves at the at the bottom of the pit, looking up, going, "How in the world are we going to claw our, our way up this time?" And um, all through the off season, I'm sending out proposals and decks and talking to everybody because we literally would have to start, um, you know, from ground zero. Yeah, yeah, it was a difficult uh, time. You know, things that you don't really ever expect to happen, but you don't really know people and how things 
work out, you know, and you make decisions and, you know, sometimes they're, they're poor ones. I think you make decisions out of desperation sometimes. Yeah. And I, um, recall that race at Las Vegas where we had a very, very inexperienced, inexperienced pit crew because that's all we could afford at the time. And one of them, uh, put the bolts on backwards, um, and, uh, popped your, well, what, yeah, what happened was, you know, on the sway bar, you know, they put the bolt in the opposite way. And when you go in the corner and you're pretty much wide open, you know, at Vegas at that time, you were going wide open and, you know, right on the first lap on the racetrack, I go out and I'm wide open going off into turn three and, you know, there's deflection in the sidewall, of the tire, and it, uh, it caught the bolt that was sticking too far out and it tore the tire down and I went straight up in the wall and killed the car. And yeah. And we, you guys worked all night long trying to get that car put back together. We we go, well, we know we actually pulled the backup car out, which we had just procured and it was not finished. We didn't really know anything about it. And we got the car engine in the car. We got the thing ready to go. And we were pretty much ready to get ready to go and try and qualify for the event. And the engine wouldn't start. And there was some kind of wiring issue. Uh, we couldn't get the thing to fire and ended up, you know, not being able to, uh, to run the race, you know, because we couldn't get, they were literally pushing you. You, you look like Fred Flintstone. You had one leg out of the car. (laughs) They were literally pushing you as you were getting into the, the side window. We were trying to get, trying to get it pushed started. It was just, it was one of those weekends where, you know, it just, it's, it's, you know, you just, it's a mistake, right. And you just physically have to, take it on the chin you try to work feverishly to get this other other car together you guys pull we pull it off but something with a brand new car or a car that we had just gotten we didn't know anything about it actually was a car that we had gotten that was a junior motorsports car that uh danica had run mm-hmm. and uh, that's right i had gotten it and you know we just never got the chance so here we are after that weekend and we're out in the parking lot because we have to go on to phoenix and we are out in the parking lot uh working on the car and that's how we, you know, ended up meeting this gentleman and, you know, ended up later on, you know, um, getting involved and trying to help out and then ends up, you know, going to a partnership and then, you know, it uh, ended poorly. I think um, if there's anything um, to the listeners that we learned, I mean, if you're going to start your own race teams or any teams for that matter, and you're doing it with minimal money and sponsorship that you anticipate does not come in or funders pull out. I wish we would have just said at that point after Vegas, I wish we would have said, you know what, let's pull back. Let's, let's not go into partnership out of desperation. And I think a lot of decisions we made that year were out of desperation and survival well, and survival for the team. You know, I think the thing is, you know, when you're in that mix, you want things so badly. It's what you've done. It's what you continue to do. And you have this never say die attitude. And I think we both were, in that, I think. Mode. Oh, we never would have made the decision when we were in it. Yes, that's yeah. correct. This is very hindsight is twenty twenty. It is. It's very yeah. When you're in the throes of it, right? All you can think about is getting to the next race, and you're looking for every avenue, and you know you try to find yourself believing the best in situations, and sometimes you're. I think you're very clouded as far as you're being objective, and you just. You know, you want to see the best in people and then it's just not really there. And then, you know, expectations change and you can, as much as you try to explain to people that don't understand racing at all, they don't have a conception of what it really takes and the expectations are vastly different. And I think that's the biggest thing you have when you have people that don't understand racing is 
coming up and explaining to them and getting them to understand, you know, the, the harsh realities of it. And uh, especially the business model that we were actually involved in at that time. So it was a very, very difficult time for us. And what really happens next was, you know, again, we talked about we're in November and December. We're trying to figure out what to do and enters Jay Robinson again and uh, and Troy, you know, the attorney, my attorney. And they're, they have this race team and they need a shock guy because their shock uh, engineer had just left and gone to uh, Richard Childress Racing. So asked me if I would come do shocks for their race team. And it was a cup program. And so that was my forte. And, you know, Jay knew that. And they were looking for somebody to kind of work in the shop and just do shock absorbers. So I really didn't have anything else on the horizon at that point in time. And we needed to make a living. Well, and, and the only reason and you took going. that job was I was going to get enough sponsorship together for you to run some cup races. Correct. And, and I actually did, um, even by Atlanta, by the second race of the year. Well, that was our mindset. Our mindset right. going was let's let's get over there. Let me do shock absorbers. We make a living and we get a chance to go to the racetrack and then it gives us time for you to try to find sponsorship. And then we already knew what that number was and we had to go find and procure that so I could run some some cup races there. So that really was what our mindset was. And uh, that's how things started to progress. So, right. yeah. so, I mean, that's 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 how it was. So basically I took the job. And I started going over there and building shock absorbers and getting ready for the season. And, uh, and that's where we're probably going to have to stop for a day. And then we'll, uh, we'll carry on about uh, the next foray into the Cup Series, which would lead us to the Starcom days. Right. Enter Starcom coming up. So make sure you uh, stay tuned next week. And just um, a word to listeners out there. If you are listening to... Um, the podcast on Apple, it's always going to go to the latest podcast that has just been aired. So obviously, if you had tuned in this week, it was going to um, take you to 12. Um, but if you want to listen to the stories from the vault where Derek started um, way back when, and you haven't heard those yet and wondering where those at, that those were episodes one through eight, nine um, ten. and, uh, and a little bit of 10. So, um, definitely, um, go to, um, Spreaker.com uh, or the link that led you to this podcast. And you can actually go pick your episodes and listen to some of those old stories. So anyway, we always appreciate your feedback. Thank you so much for leaving a comment that really helps us know, um, what it is that you want to hear more of and maybe less of, but we hope you enjoyed this episode. This was one of my favorites. Um, of course, because um, yours truly um, got to meet Mr. Cope and become Mrs. Cope. So um, it's definitely been um, a very adventurous, but wonderful ride, baby. I think so too. Love you. Love you too. All right. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. Did this episode give you some value? If so, please follow us on Facebook at Derek Cope and Instagram at Derek Cope double zero and leave a comment or question and use hashtag race theory. We can't wait to hear from you. See you on the next episode.